Romans chapter 8, and we'll just key in on that one verse, Romans 8 and verse 28. Very familiar to us. You'll see this verse plastered all over coffee mugs and posters and plaques and memo pads and all kinds of things. A very, very familiar uh, territory that we are looking at this morning. Romans 8 and verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Oh God, we do ask now that as we turn to the preaching of your word, that you would bless us by your Holy Spirit, that you would give us insight, that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us, that you would teach us, and that you would bless us greatly now as your people. In Christ's name, amen. Well, you may recall that several weeks ago, I mentioned a lady named Corey Ten Boom, and I read a quote by her this past week, and I just couldn't resist incorporating this into the beginning of my sermon because I thought that it fits so well. If you don't know who Corey Ten Boom is, then, um, then just to refresh your memory a little bit. In the Second World War, she lived in Holland, and her and her family housed Jewish people who were seeking uh, to get away from the Nazi regime who was trying to round them up in Holland and bring them to concentration camps. And so they were discovered. Uh, the people that were hidden in the house escaped, but Corrie ten Boom and her family, they were known to hide Jewish people, and so they were, were arrested, sent to Jewish, uh, sent to these concentration camps, and none of her family survived, but she did. And eventually she lived in California, and she went on speaking tours and wrote books and various things. And she went through a lot of very terrible, horrible things in her life. And so she has a great perspective on suffering and the things that we want to talk about this morning. But she said this, Look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look to Jesus and be at rest. Look to Jesus and be at rest. And you can watch the news, you can spend time on social media, and eventually you will be distressed at the things that we see around us. Then you can look inside your own heart and you can see that the seeds of every sin are within us, that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. But when our focus and our perspective is shaped by the Word of God, shaped by our union with Christ, shaped by our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, there we can find peace and we can find rest. And that quote is a really good outline for the book of Romans. When we look within us, we can be distressed greatly. When we look around us, we can be distressed. When we look within us, we can be depressed. And we can see Paul in chapter 7 talking about looking within himself. And we see that he uses the word I, me, my, dozens of different times within that chapter. And what's hap what happens when he does that? Is he encouraged by that? No, he is greatly distressed, greatly depressed. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he transitions very quickly into Romans chapter 8 and reminds himself of the gospel. Chapter 8 comes as a great sigh of relief to the Apostle Paul, and it should be a great sigh of relief to us. It's like a warm sunshine on a cold winter morning, and the sun comes out and it warms us up, and it feels 
so good. And last Sunday morning, we looked at the beginning of chapter 8, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in Sunday evening, we found that we can never be separated from God. So we have no condemnation and there's no separation. We looked at those two bookends that we called them last week within the chapter, but there is something very important that I didn't even mention, and that is verse 28. We didn't talk morning or evening about verse 28, and that's a very important verse to us within this chapter. Again, it is one of the most, we could say, popular verses in Scripture, a verse that is committed to many of your memories, a, com- a verse that is, that is a, a very important one to us remember within its proper context. And when we look at Romans chapter 8, we see that it centers on God's care and concern for his children. And we see that Romans 8.28 needs to be viewed within its proper context, and that is verses 16 through 18. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. What is the apostle saying? He's saying that if we look at all of our suffering and we put those on one side of the scale and we look at the glory that's going to be revealed in us, we see how lopsided those things are that the glory that will be revealed within us far outweighs the sufferings that we endure during this life. And that is quite a claim when we think about the Apostle Paul and what he endured, the sufferings he endured in this life. We can look at the big list that he has in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, all of those different things that he talks about there. And the context of verse 28 is verse 18. And then following that, that period of groaning of our our fallenness as people in the world and the groaning of the Spirit and our weakness that we see in verse 26. So when we read all things in verse 28, we need to put those into the context that includes the sufferings of this present time that are in verse 18. So Paul says that there's no comparison between our suffering and the glory that will be revealed in us. And elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4, he says that our sufferings are but momentary, light affliction that produce for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Staggering statements that he has in regards to our suffering and trials. Now, if you are like me, you read that and you say, well, yeah, that's good for you, Paul. That, that's the Apostle Paul talking. The Apostle Paul endured suffering. The Apostle Paul met trials head-on in a way that I have yet to attain in meeting particular trials that encompass me. For most of us, suffering and trials are to be avoided at all costs. We do not like them. We don't like to endure them. We don't like to to see the fruit of what God, God is doing in them. As one has said, life is a constant process of getting used to things that we never planned. Constantly, things are coming our way that we didn't account for. And sometimes we can feel as though our legs are cut right out from under us. How do we deal with that? Verse 28, and we know that 
for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's quite a verse. Now the context of this verse is God's care and concern for his people. And so we see, first of all, the certainty of God's care. And we see that statement there at the beginning of the verse. And we know. And we know. Not, and we hope. Or that we would like to think. Or that we have this illusion that things will work out. But we know. It's a certainty. And we talked about this type of certainty in verse 38, last Sunday evening, the Apostle Paul there, he says, for I am sure. The Apostle had great confidence when it comes to the things of God. God's plans, God's purposes, all at work, and he had confidence in those things. That the Christian life is not random. There is great stability and certainty. And Paul is very confident about these things. And we know and we're going to talk more about that in a few moments. But the second thing that we see here is who this promise is for. Those who love God. And at the end of the verse, those who are called according to his purpose. Do you know that you are called according to God's purposes and God's plan? You could look at Ephesians 2 and verse 10. It talks about it there, that God has prepared good works for us beforehand, that we should walk in them. God has purposes and plans for all of his children. And this purpose, this promise here is for those who love God. It's not for everyone. It's for those who love God and who are called by God. And so there are two categories of people. And Jesus describes them. He says that if you are not for me, then you are against me. And you might think to yourself, well, I'm not really for God. I'm not really against God. I'm kind of indifferent to God. And Jesus doesn't leave that kind of neutrality to us. We are for him or we are against him. If you are not for me, you are against me. You love God with your life, you give it to him, or you are against him. Now, how do we know if we love God and this promise is for us? Well, that would be a completely separate sermon, but just a couple of things quickly. Do you have a desire for God? Is your will aligned to his will? Do you seek to walk in obedience to his word and to his calling, aligning yourself to what he commands of us? Do you love your brothers and sisters in the church? That gossip and slander is something that you put aside and instead you put on love, forgiveness, service towards your brothers and sisters. If someone says that they love God and they hate their brother, they are a liar and the truth is not in them. How about walking in obedience to the commands of God? If you love me, keep my commandments. So our love towards God is demonstrated by our obedience. Will that be perfect obedience? No, it's not. We still fall. But our desire, general desire in life, our general inclination in life is towards obedience to the commands that, God's, that God has for us. Thirdly, we see the scope of God's care and concern for his people, and that is all things. And I want you to know that the all things means all things. It means exactly what it says. It means all things. God creates all things. He sustains all things. He is the one who saves his elect, his people. 
So God is the initiator. God is the cause of all good. God is at work continually in the lives of his people for their good. James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. God is the cause of all good and God is for our good. God is not against us. God is for us. And I want you to know how comprehensive the all things is. There's no qualifications that the apostle gives. There's no limitations that the apostle gives. All things means all things. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes that can be hard to believe. All things. It's much easier for us to think, well, maybe some things. But the apostle says, all things. He doesn't say most things. He says, all things. And if we fail to understand that point of the all things, meaning all things, then what is going to happen in our hearts and our minds and our lives towards God is that we are going to grow angry and we are going to grow bitter against God and against people because we fail to understand what the all things means and what God is doing in the all things. And we could look at some things and we could see that they are horrible. They are evil things. There are tragic things that happen. That's absolutely true. But we could be angry and we could be bitter or we can think about things differently. We can think about things the way that God wants us to think about them. We can trust him in the midst of great hardship. Now I know one of our hymns that we sing is uh, It Is Well With My Soul. And if you know the backstory to that, you know that the backstory to it is one of tragedy. And I have a full illustration here of the tragedy that went on in this man's life, but I'm not going to read it this morning. But if you want it, email me. I'll send you the whole thing. But long story short, he put his wife and four children on a ship going from New York City to France. And along the way, the ship hit another ship, sank, and the only one who to survive was his wife. His four children were gone. And out of that great tragedy, he wrote that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And so he was in his home alone. He received news that only his wife had survived. And he sat down with an overwhelming sense of God's peace in the midst of the tragedy, And he wrote, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that was taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's number 691 in our hymn book. Coming out of great tragedy, he bears up under it with the power of the Holy Spirit and and pens these amazing Words And we could all recount terrible, heartbreaking things that have happened in this world, that have happened in church history, happened in the Bible, happened in our own lives. Many different heartbreaking things that occur. What do we do with that? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Horatio Spafford, the writer of that hymn, knew the truths of that verse very, very well. And then fourthly, what do we see here? We see how cohesive God's care and concern for his people is. How all things work together for good. And the two words work together are one word in Greek, 
And we get the English term from that, synergism. And the definition of synergism is this, the working together of various elements to produce an effect greater than and often completely different from the sum of each element acting separately. Now just uh, an illustration from science, from chemistry. There is something that we eat pretty much every single day that if we were to separate the two elements and eat them, it would kill us. If we took these two elements and we consumed them at full strength, they would kill us. They would be lethal. Can you guess what that is? I know we have at least one chemist here. Table salt. That's correct. Yes. Sodium and chlorine. Sodium in its pure form will kill you. Chlorine in its purest form will kill you. But if you mix the two at the right measurement, you get sodium chloride. Just regular table salt. It's not poisonous. It's good. It's delicious in proper amounts. Table salt. These two things that are mixed together. Now how does that relate to us? Well, there are certain things that happen to us and they are bad things. They can be evil things. I've got a list of things and so do you. Bad things that happen. And yet God in His sovereign will says to us, wait for the outcome. I'm at work. I am doing things. It's like if God had a chemistry lab. He's taking those good things and the, and the bad things and He's mixing them together and He's doing something. And some not, sometimes we need to wait. And that is a tremendously difficult thing to do in the midst of hardship. And God says, just wait. All things, not most or some things, all things are working together, working together, synergized for our good. It doesn't say that all things work together for our comfort and ease. If we have that type of perspective, then we will grow angry and bitter. If we think that we if we if we don't if we do think that, if we think that all things are for our comfort and ease and God is is doing us uh, hardships when sufferings come along, then we grow angry and we grow bitter. One of the people that I've also, another lady that I've mentioned before as an illustration is Johnny Erickson Tata. She is an amazing woman, and if you don't know her, she's got tons of YouTube clips, one, two minutes long, that are, that are incre incredibly encouraging to us when we are in the midst of suffering. But she's been a paraplegic for more than 50 years. And she says that God will allow what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God sometimes allows what he hates to accomplish what he loves. And get this, another thing that she said is that next to salvation, her paralysis is the greatest thing to ever happen to her. That's quite staggering, isn't it? More than 50 years in a wheelchair, a paraplegic, and yet she says that it is, next to salvation, the greatest thing to ever happen to her. How can she think that way? 
Well, she knows that she loves God. She knows that God loves her. And that the bat of her paralysis has opened a doorway for her to be able to glorify God in a way that she never could have otherwise. To be able to minister to people that she never would have otherwise. The bat of her paralysis has opened that doorway. And so she knows that all things means all things. It means all things. All the things that we see and all the things that we don't see. All the things that we know and all the things that we don't know. All the things that we understand and all of those things that happen we don't understand. Those lingering questions and the questions that we've seen answered in our lifetimes. All of those things God is working for our good. All of those things are working together, synergized for our good. God will allow what he hates to accomplish what he loves. God will take the good and the bad, the righteousness, the evil, and by his love and care, he works it together for our good. The end result is greater than the sum of the elements. They are all working together for good for God's people and for his glory. Do you believe that God is for your good? That God is working at work for your good? That he is a God of action, actively working for your good? In the book of Genesis, we read about the, uh, the story of Joseph, the account of Joseph in his life. We see that in his life, there was a lot of bad things happening. And then we see a lot of good things happening. And at the end of the account, Joseph says, you meant it for evil, and God meant it for good. God had hidden works going on behind the scenes, mysterious things happening and orchestrating for the good of Joseph, for the good of his family, for the good of the nation. All those things working for good. In the early church in Jerusalem, the church began to be persecuted. And that is bad. Persecution is bad. But what did that do? It did something good. It pushed the church and the gospel into the Greco-Roman world. They could no longer be comfortable in Jerusalem. They had to go out. And when they went out, they took the gospel with them. And so what Paul is saying to us is that God is at work in all things. And the all things means all things for the good of his children. We've been adopted into God's family. We looked at that last week. We are the beneficiaries. We have an inheritance of God's goodness in this life and in the next. And it is for those who love him that their attitude toward God is one of love. We love God as God's people, as God's children. And then God's relation to us is one of love and one of action. We've been called according to his purposes. And so we love him because he first loved us. And he did so before the foundation of the world. He predestined us. He's called us. He justified us. As we see this passage going on to tell us. We see all these things wonderfully at work. That God is at work. That there is no condemnation. There is no separation. But along the way, there is a lot of perspiration. Which sometimes can lead us to exasperation at the purpose and plan of God. What is he doing? What is he at work in? How can this possibly be good? But yet God says that it is, that all things are at work for our good. 
and for his eternal purposes, for his glory. Now, much more could be said about this topic of affliction and suffering in the life of believer. How do we deal with this? But I just want to point us in our closing few minutes to one point of application that I found incredibly encouraging as I read it this past week. And we're going to go right back to the beginning of the verse and that statement that we read there, and we know. And we know. Isn't that precisely the problem when we are in deep affliction? Do we know? Do we know that God is at work in this? Do we know that these, that these things are not random, that they're all working together? There are many things that I don't know, that I don't understand, that I don't comprehend, that I don't fully comprehend exactly what God is doing in his purposes and plans. But here is one of the keys, that all of those things that I don't know about God and what he's doing, I wouldn't trade for all of the things that I do know. All of those things that I don't know, I wouldn't trade for all of the things that I do know about God and about his plans and his purposes. Several weeks ago, I was out for a walk and I was going down a hill and an elderly lady was coming up the hill and so I tried to encourage her by letting her know that she was very close to the top. Keep on going, you're almost there. And she paused and she stopped to catch her breath and started talking to me and chatting uh, with me. And so I engaged in conversation with her and we talked about the beautiful day and I steered the conversation towards God and creation and, and different things along these lines. And we talked for 20 or 30 minutes and she mentioned that she grew up in a Reformed church. And then she went on to unfold a tragic story that occurred in her life. She went on to tell me about different forms of abuse that went on in that church towards her and towards her family. And she was very hurt by those things, confused by those things, didn't understand those things, didn't understand the Bible, didn't understand why God allowed certain things to happen, didn't understand why God allowed certain things to happen the way they did in the Bible, didn't understand the way things unfolded in her life and the lives of other people around her. She was confused about those things, those terrible things that happened. And she said to me that if that is what God is like, I don't want anything to do with him. She walked away from God. She walked away from the church. She walked away from God because of the things that she didn't know. And many people do. And maybe you are here this morning and you are thinking of walking away. You just had enough. Jesus had lots of people who walked away from him and on one occasion he turns to his disciples and he said, are you going to go away also? And what was the response of the disciples? Lord, to whom shall we turn? Where else shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. You see, the key there is that the disciples had a certainty of what they knew. There was lots of things they didn't know, but they were certain about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christ and they kept on following. 
There's lots of things they didn't understand that were going on. Lots of things that they were dull about. But they kept on following. And there's lots of things that God allows in this world, and I don't know why. I don't know why some things happen the way that they do. I don't know exactly why. There are a lot of things that we just don't know about. But there are things that we can be certain about. That things are not just haphazard and random. That God is at work in all things. So turn with me, turn the page a couple of pages over to Romans chapter 11. I read this passage this past week and it was a a great encouragement to me as as I read this in light of what we were thinking about for this sermon and wanting to preach about this morning. Great hope and encouragement. There are a lot of things that we just don't know that happen and occur in this life. But when there are things that we don't know, we must lean upon the things that we do know. And so let's look at Romans 11, starting at verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. If you find yourself in turmoil, stuck in Romans 8.28 and wondering, confused, disorientated, how can this possibly be of any good? How can this be for my good? I don't understand. We can comfort ourselves with the knowledge of God, with the thought that God's ways are impossible for us to fully understand, inscrutable. We can't fully comprehend God's ways. And that shouldn't surprise us. He is God, we aren't. And so where our attributes end, that's where the Lord's pick up. And so we need to trust Him in those things. We can comfort comfort ourselves with the knowledge of God that nothing is impossible with him, that God's ways are impossible for us to fully understand. They are often very mysterious. We don't know why, but we lean upon and trust his love, his wisdom, his knowledge, knowing that there is no bottom to them. They are unsearchable. And because there are things that happen, we just have to say sometimes, I don't know, and continue following and continuing to trust. I don't get it, I don't understand it, but I trust in his love and his wisdom and his knowledge. And Paul reminds us in Romans 11 that when we come to an end of our understanding, and that quickly happens when we are under severe trials, we must lean on God's understanding. When we come to the end of our understanding, we have to lean upon and trust God's understanding. To trust in the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. So we remember Romans 8.28 in light of the suffering that is found in Romans 8.17 and 18, and the glory that awaits us. And then we remind ourselves when we are looking at Romans 8.28 and we are confused about life, things don't make sense, we don't understand the good, to read it in light of Romans 8, or read it in light of Romans 11, 33 to 36. 
When we exhaust Romans 8.28, turn to Romans 11.33 to 36. God's ultimate goal and purpose for us, for his people, is Christ-likeness. We see that in verse 29, that we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's good. That's very good. And so God is at work to accomplish that all through our lives in this process of sanctification that will lead to glorification. And so when we don't know, when we, when we, we can have full confidence in God when we don't understand. We can have full confidence in God, in the God who does know. When we don't understand, we can lean on God's understanding that He is a God of action. He is at work for His people. He is at work at all, in all things, synergizing them for our good to complete His eternal purposes of Christ-likeness in us. Let's pray. Oh God, I do pray and ask for those who are struggling, who are under severe affliction and trial. This morning, I ask that you would uphold him with the truths of who you are. And Lord, so many times we get to the end of ourselves and we don't understand, and so we look to you. We thank you that you understand all things, and things that are confusing to us are not confusing to you. And so we lean upon and we trust in your wisdom, in your love, and in your knowledge. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.